in your living room at your house when you have a little house party with your friends. Just focus on three things. It's sound, lighting, and temperature. Those things you can control, but in terms of how to influence any space, those three things, you can make it incredible or make it really terrible. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo. My guest this week is literally a curator of vibes. He's the music director for the Chateau Marmont, the founder of Studio Noi, and the host of the podcast, Are We On Air? Mr. Armand Nafi. Armand and I chat about his life and music career, the international music scene, the importance of ambiance, and how he wound up having chats with folks like Jane Birkin and David Byrne on his pod. Last but not least, we chat why you should change every light bulb you have in your house. Let's do it. You know, you and I got got introduced through a mutual friend, and I started going through your podcast. And I will say, I was like, "All right, I'm not, I'm not gonna make a show anymore. Like, there's no <laughs> point for me to make a podcast." I was looking at that, like, it is, you know, because I have a few friends that do podcasts. And they'll get cool guests on, and we always like have a little goofy, playful like competition or something like, "Oh, cool! You t- oh, you talk to this person." And I look through, "Are we on air?" Your show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and look through your guest list, and it is. There's two things about it. The first thing is there are people who have never been on a podcast, and I imagine it was somewhat difficult for you to like explain to them what it is. Um, but then there are other people like that are on and the interview that you have with them, the discussion that you have is nothing that they've ever done in any way, shape or form. Like Patty Smith, Marina Abramovich, like people that are just Titans and they're so candid with you. So I got, there's so much stuff I want to unpack and try to understand how you're doing this so I can steal it. <laughs> no problem sharing is caring after all and we all steal from somewhere yeah. um well first of all a shout out to our mutual friend chris black from the incredible how long gone podcast who introduced us there we go and yeah. uh, it's funny he said the same thing when he interviewed me for his podcast as well i never thought yeah. of it honestly i i never thought of it this way uh, i mean obviously i work on the lineup I, I love curating that's my background curation right like mainly in music but before that in the art world. And and this is for me also another fun thing to do, curating a lineup. I just really enjoy that part, like the most really. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think I had to convince anybody yet or explain the format of what a podcast is. I think everyone is at least, has an idea what it is. They know it's just another new media. And right. they, no matter, even they were veterans, they... They've been on a podcast maybe before. I don't know. I mean, majority of them, I guess, were or maybe not. But it's basically just recording in a conversation in the end of the day. So uh, w- uh, with Patty, that was actually, we met at the Chateau a year and a half ago. To the Chateau Marmont? At the Chateau Marmont, which, of course, I'm associated with. uh been the music director for Andre Balas for the past 10 years. And, and we were opening a private club at the Chateau. That's why I was there for three, four years. Um and being the director d'ambiance, <laughs> that's my, the title I gave myself. Which is uh, such a <laughs> sick title, by the way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, technically, I think officially it's the music director, but there's not so much music. It's more of an experience that you create. And that's my speciality, I guess. And um, and yeah, I, I just had my mic that I'm holding in my hand right now and just went up to her and let's chat kind of. And that's how the format kind of originated was... I meet all these great, wonderful people throughout my life and my career and creative, like-minded people. And music being my background, it, it, it's just something everybody shares. And everybody usually has fond memories or connection, emotional connections with music. So when I ask them, basically, the concept of the show is basically what's the soundtrack to your life, which is, which is kind of the starting point. And then once you get into it, they... They automatically, I mean, I guess it has to do with your personality, I guess, as well, and your connection that you have with the person. But there's a lot of people in the show that I didn't know before the interview. But music is such an, it's 
call it slightly more spiritual, a heart opener, <laughs> you know? So No, yeah, it yeah. is. Music and, and food are like the two things that'll, that trigger such strong memories. Absolutely. And everybody yeah. has an emotional experience or memory. And, and, and then it just, you can tell how the body language or the eyes change or when they continue, even when the answer the question is still go a bit deeper, give it more detail. You know, that's always... And talking about Patty, I mean, we also in the conversation mentioned, or I think I mentioned how how music is like a scent, you know, like it literally just can take you back to a, a split second or a moment that it was even 20 years ago. If you just hear the first few seconds of a sound of a song, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what's interesting, too, on the show is because, it, yes, it's true. A lot of the people that you've had on, they've all done press before. But I think it's it's great because the conversations that you have with them, which I mean, seriously, that's what I've been trying to do for Blamo for like the past five years is like, you know, you're you're not talking about you're not talking to Patty Smith about like her life or her bio or what what happened at that show or Marina Abramovich like staring at people or, you know, like it's not it's not like and I mean this in a complimentary way, like a very journalistic one on one sort of thing at all. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it but I feel like the conversations that you get are far better than what a journalist would get because it's so free flowing. I mean, it's it's really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for the roses. <laughs> um yeah. but that that was always the intent. I'm not a journalist. I I I I like to see myself more like artist to artist mm. conversation. I think that's more the aim. Um obviously I've been in music for know, nearly 20 years now. I started DJing when I was 15 and and then uh, music has uh, has been everything in my life, really. Uh, I don't produce, I don't sing, I don't play. You know, all I do is is listening and playing records, really. And um, but I always had the the more curatorial curatorial <laughs> side of uh, or view on these things, and uh, and just been observing and experiencing and and entertaining really and uh, just this just comes together i think that's kind of why the conversations are i think the general feedback also from strangers who reach out saying wow like i'm mm. i always leave these conversations so inspired because it's you it feels like you're sitting with us at the table and having these conversations and that was always the idea i mean it came literally it was me sitting in the lobby at the chateau by the bar or by the piano or in the garden and having these conversations and that's how it was we had a drink and we chatted and that was the kind of Going back to director d'ambiance, that's what I do, and that's what I like to be in these kind of environments, and that's how I wanted to pass this on. It, it shouldn't feel like a Q and A. I do send the questions yeah. before, and everybody gets, I think, five standard questions, and then I adapt another five that are for the person and their craft in particular that I'm interested in, and then we just chat, we just have a conversation, and sometimes it just goes somewhere that was so unexpected, and I love that when it happens. Um, yeah, when, when I talk to folks, I have five bullet points that I basically try as hard as I can to never share any of that stuff with them. And if so, we'll be like, yeah, we're going to just kind of talk about this. But then whenever the mic's on, I'm like, Psh, you know, because like sometimes too, and it's tough because like you'll have someone on who's who's like on a press tour, right? Mm. So they're used to like, let's keep the topics about the film that I'm working on. And you're like, but, but that's exactly the point. I don't yeah. <laughs> take these people on their own press tours because then it becomes yeah. a promo conversation. And that's exactly what I don't want. I, 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 even when I speak to publicists and PR people, I was like, I'm super interested in that person, but not right now. I'd rather have them on their off day because mm. I'm not interested in a, a movie or new album release push. Unless I'm really personally interested, I want to explore more of this, then I can bring sure. this up. But in, in general, I, I do, I'm more interested in the person behind the artist in a way i think that's what, what mm -hmm. i'm more after yeah well i mean you, you'd kind of talked about like being a product of your environment like what was your environment you said you started playing music when you were 15 yeah i mean i picked up the turntables of my friend's basement shout out to max <laughs> uh, when we were 14 15 in cologne growing up in cologne germany uh, he had turntables and i was just naturally drawn to it Never had anything to do with turntables and mixer or records before. I, was, I just could not, every time I was there, I could not touch them and play with it and learn. And he, he wouldn't let me. But, you know, it was just like I was just drawn to it. And I, the, I saved up money, bought turntables and just started. And But I never looked at it as a career. Or I never looked at it. This is what I want to do with my life. It was just, it, it was just there. 
you know, it's, it, I never let go of it. And I think only, even though it became my career, music is my career, I think only in the past two years after like doing this for so long, uh, did I, I was like, okay, maybe this is my career. <laughs> maybe this is like, cause, you know, I didn't study it. I didn't go to university for it. I didn't, I didn't learn sure. a craft in that sense, you know? So, uh, but I think after just years of passion and experience, I was like, okay, this is now my life and this is what I'm known for. And okay, let's take this a bit more serious and embrace it. You know, I think that's also when the moment came, um, okay, let's start the inter this interview series. I mean, the idea started two years ago and it just took me a year to form it. And then I just launched it when the first lockdown happened in April in, in Los Angeles. I already had four episodes in my pocket or five, mm -hmm. which was Patty, Julian Schnabel, Gia Coppola and Too Many DJs. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> You know, that's how I started. I just Sure. I mean, that was everyone's first four episodes. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I've got these golden nuggets in my pocket. Everyone's at home. I'm not 100% ready yet, but I've just dropped it and launched it. And, you know, I had some friends who helped a little press in the beginning and push it. And and it was great. Two and DJs posted it. And then on the same day, Julian called me. He loved this episode. He loved talking about music. And, and then Patty called me 15 minutes later. You know, I was just like, what's happening you know like this is so surreal yeah you know i was like i still get nervous thinking about it and i've been going weekly since pretty much and it became my new life you know and i love i'm loving it i mean it's great <laughs> i'm sure you know yeah. how that feels <laughs> well yeah i mean yeah it's it's a grind for sure i think the the most frustrating part of of making any podcast is when someone reaches out to you and they're like that was awesome when's the next one and you're like are you kidding me like that I poured my whole life and, you know, all these hours into making that. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm not, I'm not complaining. I, I don't mean to sound like that or, or sound ungrateful, but like when you, when you work on something so much, and I, I think especially because most, you know, podcasts are basically free. And so people are just used to a higher level of production, a great interview and all these other things. And so they're just like, cool. When's the next one? Like, who do you have this? Or, and it is such a grind. Oh, like it's such yeah. a grind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people think, oh, yeah, it's so easy. I have a team of people who help me do this. And, you know, like I think four or five people are now working with me on this. And it's pretty much a passion project for everybody. It takes mm -hmm. a lot of time, a lot of skill, and a lot of attention to detail. Because see, we, my, my goal is to be BBC level or NPR level of a production. At, at minimum so within within my means and my knowledge and my experience i'm sure that's the goal that's the benchmark and um mm -hmm. and that takes like each episode that goes every week i don't know how the guys from how long gone do it with like three four episodes a week that's insane like that's so yeah. much work i mean even if it's just chris black you're listening it's it's too much it's, it's too much <laughs> no but you know what i see the numbers <laughs> like the, the more content you put out that also counts for a podcast right like also, also the big ones like i don't know joe rogan stuff that many are nearly daily shows so that's the, the the more output quality output the bigger the audience i think you know so but that's not my goal like also because I, I have so many other projects going on so are we as part of it and part are we as also the idea is to be more than just a podcast i'm working on like more tangible it's i'm turning it into a you know wider brand but the conversation and the music is always at the core and um so you have to be clever and a bit smart about how you use your talents and time. And for me, weekly is already like for season two, I was like, oh, maybe I should go every two weeks. You know, that buys me more time. But you, you got to put the content out. You know, you don't want to lose that audience. So I get that. Um, but I think it's also important to have like creative breaks. Like I really, I, I took a forced time off over Christmas, which was meant to be just two, three weeks. It turned into like three, four months, you know, from, mm -hmm. and then I was, okay, we're going to go into seasons now. Cause that was, I went since April weekly and, um, I was like, okay, let's take a break here and, and take a step back and look, how can I improve? What can be changed? Uh, where do I want to take this? You know, you, I think it's, it's, and that's also one of the questions I ask my guests, how important is silence and solitude to creativity? And it's such an important part. I mean, of course, like, you know, we do our daily meditations and stuff, but I think taking a step away back and just kind of have a bird's eye view on things is important. And I learned so much by taking this break and it, 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 it took the whole thing to a different route, you know, maybe a better route, who knows, but, you know, so I, uh, that was a great 
lesson that I learned as well. Yeah, I mean, burnout is, I, I don't know if it's that people are more open to communicating that they've been burned out or people are just more burned out now. But I lean more towards the fact that there is a, you know, so much of us, our values and like how we figure out what we're worth is by our output at all times. And so every single person is, especially if you're self-employed, at least like myself, into which I'm like, okay, if if a podcast isn't out on a Monday and there's not one out on a Thursday, what am I doing? Like, am I of any worth? Does anyone know that I exist? Like, am I, you know, and so that sort of, um, you know, avalanche keeps growing behind you. And next thing you know, like there's been, I mean, I've definitely been wrestling with it on my own of just being burnt out. And I've just like, finished and I just stare at the wall and I'm like what the like what what in God's name am I doing I mean because you just you get so exhausted and I think that sometimes well not sometimes maybe all the time leaks into the quality of your work absolutely into which you're just regurgitating but that's that's exactly the point where you need to pull the handbrake and it does you know you do want to put quality work out there it doesn't matter and what what you do so I think it's important mm-hmm. before you get to that point of exhaustion that you do take that break. No one's going to hold you back on that. You know, people understand, obviously. Um, it's I think the key is really your daily meditation, whatever that is for you, that daily meditation. It could be your gardening that's give, and the connection to nature. You know, that's in my case the key. Like when Because we, especially as you know, we're like in front of so many screens then with this thing as well. We're kind of glued to this now with screen, like, and we have our mics and we have our phone and we have to like a Zoom call and we have a laptop. And at some point, you're just like, just by that, you're so exhausted just looking at these screens and this technology around and just switching off at least like for half an hour, an hour when you're during your day is, I think it's key. Just, just go out, play basketball. I don't know. You know, whatever it is. It just completely. Is that your sport? You play basketball? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've been playing since I'm twelve, you know, even though I'm not the tallest. That's what everyone thinks. Oh, you play basketball? I'm like, yeah, you don't need to be tall to be good. <laughs> hey, Muggsy Bogues. Uh, yeah, yeah, there Muggsy you go. Muggsy Bogues was my man. <laughs> okay, I'm not that small. <laughs> uh, um but yeah, it just it, it, I think it's important to do something completely different of what you usually what your task is in life. I think go right. the opposite direction, you know, and then um and I think that really is where fulfillment and happiness comes through. It's all about the balance in everything you do. Yeah. So, you know, back when you're playing music, you're 15, mm-hmm. you start to realize that, like, this is a thing. What was the first record you put on where you were like, this is different? Like, this this is this is eye-opening. Um, I must have been 19 by then or something, 20. I lived in London. I, I went to move to London when I was like 17, 18 to finish school and then university and stuff. And I just desperately was trying to find a gig. I couldn't even really mix properly, but I just had like bought my first records. And I was like, you know, I grew up in Cologne. I like my techno background, but I also like found I have all these great like vintage records and rock and roll records. And, you know, back then indie was our thing, indie rock and like the strokes and so forth. And I was seeing i was dating this girl in london she was swedish and her friend in stockholm uh, uh was like a club promoter so my i packed up my bags with my two bucks in my pocket flew ryanair from luton airport onto stockholm to play uh like two three gigs in one night or two nights and i'll never forget in stockholm i mean for me that was so far away in terms, not the the distance to stockholm but Wow, I'm a touring DJ. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, there you go. I was like, wow, what? And I never forget that. I had, and I still have that record. It's some random uh, greatest hits, rock and roll hits. Uh, you know, I found in a, a record bin for two bucks or something. And I'm in this club and I'm feeling in, in, in Stockholm and I'm feeling like the king. And I'll never forget the first record I was playing, which was uh, Black Sabbath's Paranoid. You know, it was Hell just yeah. like that. I needed that. And then and that I found this record the other day. I mean, it's like a really shitty record and there's scratches and it, it, it's slightly warped. But I was like, I'm going to keep that record forever and ever because that was just like the first real. I mean, even though I played before here and there, but that was the first moment I'm like, this is dope. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no one embraces new audience and new vibes more than the Swedish. I feel like when you when you think about specifically in music and art, 
you know, I mean, I was in a band for a bit. We kind of toured around and went uh, through places. But like, if your stuff was popping in Sweden, like that was that was the sign that totally. you're gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Swedes, uh, Scan- Scandinavian, cool. Honestly, my, my favorite parts in the world are the Scandi countries. I love them all. Uh, they're just, there's yeah. just, there, it's just something about them. I just, that's just cool, you know. <laughs> And there's I mean, think aesthetic. about it. you got like Jens Lechman, you got the Concretes, you got, yeah. you know, all all of those bands from things like Shout Out Louds and all that. Yeah, that was like kind of in that throwback. vibe around there. <laughs> yeah, right. But and that, that stuff of, still slaps. Yeah. one. You know, I've been to many, many concerts in my life, but one of the craziest shows in terms of energy. And, I, you know, I've been to like, you name it, from the hardest techno to the hardest rock to disco. I mean, everything I've seen and done. But the craziest show, oh, let's say top three, okay, let's not, but in terms of energy and craziness was The Hives. You remember them, Swedish band, The Hives? Yeah, Pell. Yeah, I mean, the energy. I mean, I was to my socks drenched and the whole concert was, like the whole crowd was like that. The energy was just insane. Like uh, for an indie, indie band in the early 2000s, a Swedish indie band. But I'll never, that wasn't, uh, I mean, I was just exhausted after that show, but it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, you got Hives and you got Refuse too, which I feel like is yeah. every, every punk person's like Bible that they carry yeah. around is yeah. like, oh man, if you, if you don't like Shape of Punk to come, we're not, we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gigging in Sweden and you start to kind of like piece these things together that you can like keep playing music. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, the way it were, I literally back then sketch in London was like the cool bar in West London. And mm-hmm. I, f- friends through friends, acquaintance, I just convinced someone that Friday night, I'm going to start a new party called Zeitgeist. It was just me and my friend, Mac, we were like 20. And they gave us basically the slot. We just burned some CDs. We, I, I was working in the art world back then. So we invited a lot of like artists and music cura- and, and art curators and cool people and indie bands, this tiny little bar. And we just full on just had fun. Like we played whatever we felt like playing pop, rock, disco, you know, all the fun cl- classics. And it was just a rager and it became like three months the place to be. Every Friday, everybody would come down. It was like fun, cool uh, kids. And we just, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I, we just did it, you know, without uh, any background. We just, and it went for it. And then all the other clubs in the West End uh, started reaching out because they heard about this party. But that, those were like serious clubs clubs then, you know. And, right. <laughs> and a little shout out to the Cuckoo Club back then. And I remember my first gig there. I just came basically from this like zeitgeist party energy. We could just do whatever we want. There's no mixing, nothing. And we're talking about like a club that would, have like bottles and tables and stuff like that and oh, okay. DJ yeah, yeah, and yeah. DJ playing, you know, top 40 and, you know, it's like a bit electro and, and all that stuff. And I remember the first record I played, of course, a big hit at the Zykas was, was Grease. And the owner comes by, what the fuck are you? What are you playing? I was like, dude, it's Grease. It's fine. And he kicked me out of the booth. <laughs> Wait, he kicked you out yeah, for playing Grease? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but, but they left the crowd that I brought. So they, the day after, like, they were like, okay, we love the vibe and the crowd that you brought. So you can come on board as a promoter, you know, but not as DJ. <laughs> I was like, what? And then just kind of work my way back into this. And then, uh, you know, just that was like more the commercial kind of sound and clubs that I did. But then I always had like the cool stuff on the side that I was doing, you know, for my soul. <laughs> were you were you making mixtapes for folks? Because I feel like oh, yeah. there is a rare, there's a rare breed of any person that can make a solid mixtape like i i used to try to make mixtapes for people i can't do it it's basically the same artist it's like you know my pick of the songs they like but to create and i'm sure this is what you do with your with your role like to create something that guides you through the entire experience that that has a rise that has a fall that has you know just a vibe is an art form unto itself totally i mean i realized this I've been doing mixtapes since I'm eight, technically. I think I remember literally a physical tape I did for a friend of mine. I'll never forget that. And then the Kazaa LimeWire phase where you're just burning CDs, making playlists for your girlfriends and friends, giving out in the schoolyard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I did all that. And then uh, I started recording my first sets at home that I was handing out to bars in East London, you know, like, hey, listen, it was more like techno and house and stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and, and now with all this life experience I had, I mean, performing life, but also, I guess, life experience, um, 
every set I play, even like just three days ago, I played a set for Ibiza Sonica Radio here on the island, uh, which is, you know, a big channel, a radio channel. And every, even if it's just like one hour, everything I do, I guess that also goes back to the questions I said for my interview guests. It's, it's very chronological and it's all energy. So I start literally a build up peak and then down again. That, that's how everything I do. Like I don't, I never start a set straight up with full on energy or, you know, or, um, I do like to, you know, it's all about adjusting and being warm and sexy in a way. That's what I'm after that feel. And, uh, that's also why I start the questions with what's your earliest significant musical memory to the last question being, um, and then in the middle you go through their life and what they do. And then I ended with, what's your go-to heartbreak song or falling in love song, you know? And then the last one being, uh, if your life would be a movie, what song would play in the end credits? So it's literally beginning, middle, end. And that's that's the start of my life. It goes through beginning, middle, end, everything I do pretty much. I mean, it has to be cohesive in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you've listened to like Desert Island Discs, right? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's of course a big reference and inspiration, and especially the UK press when I did some press for season two, they are of course all everyone they reference Desert Island Disc. I'm like, yeah, it's one of the best shows, and I think one of the long, longest running shows on BBC. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, it's very UK focused, also in terms of the lineup and uh, and uh, and music for me is again, it's just a starting point as well. But my other reference is um, how I built this NPR. Love, oh, with Guy Raz. Guy Raz, yeah. love it. I love his tone. I love his the way he goes into conversation. That's a big reference. Uh, Tiga's last party on earth. My dear Tiga, great DJ. He was also on the show uh, first season. Are we on air? Um, I, I love I love his way of talking as well. So these are the reference points really. And the big one is seventies interview magazine. It was always meant to be going back to not being journalistic. I was like, in the beginning, I had even sillier questions. I was like, okay, let's not go completely uh, too silly. Like, you know, Alex Israel, the artist, also had an interview series. You know, it was just a bit mm-hmm. too too abstract. You know, and that's not... Uh, so uh, what, what What do you listen to in the shower? Or what's your favorite fruit or stuff like that, you know? Um, um, I mean, do you ever listen to... Um, like, because... So there's an amazing podcast that I listened to that was produced by a gentleman named Jesse Thorne, who does, he actually does put this on, but um, he does a show on NPR called Bullseye. And the, it was the whole premise. It was, it was put together by the Columbia Journalism Review and it was uh, called The Turnaround and it's interviewers interviewed. And so it's Terry Gross, it's Mark Marin, it's Ira Glass, there's uh, um, Dick Cavett, um, whom wow. I think is, I think Dick Cavett is probably the greatest interviewer of all time. Yeah. Um, Check out the Sophia Loren interview from the seventies. So cool! <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it, it's yeah. it's there's so much stuff on there, so but many, like yeah, yeah mm-hmm. listening to that, I got way way into Dick Cavett, and Dick Cavett has the just like the best non sequiturs I had ever heard to kind of change up an interview when things would kind of get sort of weird. And I even started like using them. I would put little post it notes on my computer or even in my phone if things got weird but it's exactly that point of you know you 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 take them out of their bubble of like professionalism right you take them to make you humanize them that's what it's about yeah and so like all the dick cavett stuff i mean i totally have no problem saying that i just rip (laughs) off all of his things i mean because they're they're great i mean and still you know to this day like i i rewatched um there was an amazing i mean obviously it's gotten tons of press where uh you know, John Lennon and Yoko Ono on Dick Cavett. I mean, mm. and, and it's just, it's very strange because also I feel like now with the way that TV is, there can't be moments of awkward silences. They have to, they're like, no, like we, we need it's to keep the energy as high as possible. And I hate it. <laughs> yeah. In Cavett stuff, there's moments where Silence. there's nothing. Let people yeah. think, let people, <laughs> you know, let give space to breathe. Put those pockets of air. They're so important to a good conversation. We still, after what, 40, 50 years, talk about Dick Cavett. Think about yeah. that. I don't think anyone's, no, not to diss anybody, I'm not, I don't think anyone's going to talk about Jimmy Fallon in 50 years like that. I agree. You know, because it's, it's, it's going back to, it's just pure promo. It's just pure advertising now, right? 
I mean, yeah. obviously they went on as a promo show, but it still felt like more of a real conversation and you're actually in, interested in the human person behind it. Rather, you know, 10, 15, 15 minutes, come pitch your movie, come pitch your record, uh, some silly games and in and out, non-stop sound, uh, and then and everyone applause on cue. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, and also when, when so much of this stuff is is created to be, can we create 15 seconds of really great shareable stuff so we can put it online? Like, so we can put it's it on social YouTube media. YouTube now. It's, everyone watches these shows on YouTube now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, who who is it? Oh, doggone it. Uh, James Corden, James right? Gordon. James Corden was like, look. He made his career on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's it's just, I don't know. I mean, he's he's obviously doing quite well for himself. So it's, yeah, it's working yeah. on that sense. But, Absolutely. you know, for trying to find things that are in depth and that we're moving. Um, so you're DJing. You're kind of in the <laughs> art world. You're, yeah. you're, you're a promoter. You're this like modern renaissance man. How do you get hooked up with basically the the god of all hotel chains? Uh, basically, I was finishing university in London. I was so I work in the art world. I was the assistant of Sir Norman Rosenthal at the Royal Academy of Arts in London, and through that, yeah, I, I met uh, Jay Joplin at Y Cube Gallery, and I started to do the music for Jay's events and parties and. And then I, the Boom Boom Room opened in New York and my best friend moved to New York from London. And I was at like, the really standard wanna, at the standard. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like the talk of the towns everywhere. Like, have you heard of this Boom Boom Room thing? And you see the first images and we're talking about 2010, you know, like uh, pre Instagram and all that stuff, but everybody knew. And I was like, I need to go there. I want to DJ there. That was my first reaction idea. I didn't know who Andre Balas was. But uh, turns out Jay and Andrew were like best friends and he was in town. I missed him. And then I went to Miami's art bars in 2010. And I was like, Jay, and we were at the standard at Marco Brambilia's um, screening. And Marco, Jay and Andre were like the trio. And mm-hmm. um, and literally Jay just introduced me to Andre. I was like, Andre, this is Armin. He's a genius with music. You need to hire him. And Andre was like, great. <laughs> so he connected me to his team and I did all the interview processes, went to New York twice, interviewed with 20 people. And then they hired me as the music director for the Boom Boom Room. And that was like, okay, I was like 25, you know, I was like a little wide eyed kid from London. I had a residency in Berlin going nuts every week uh, once a month like insane and you know i just want to have fun at that point you know okay we started a job a career and just one thing led to another and from the boomer room i started looking after sunset beach which is his property in the hamptons on shelter island and that was mm-hmm. really my breaking point because that that was a property where i could really show my skills and really be more like me in terms of the sound and my character and and really embrace it, and, uh, and and that became my calling card. And then, uh, then he made me the global music director for all of his hotels, so all the standard hotels, the Chilton Firehouse Chateau Marmont. We went back to London to open the Chilton, which was an incredible experience. The first six months before we opened, so it was literally a construction site, and the who is who in London was there every night. We put a ping pong table in the construction site connected the stereo put a bottle of vodka on the top of the construction bar and every night was mayhem i mean it was insane it was really a fun fun time and <laughs> i learned a lot and obviously i grew and andre and i became very good friends and became a mentor i learned a lot from him and uh and you know after 10 years now i'm obviously i launched my creative agency studio Noi at the same time and do music direction for a lot of brands and 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 places and just you know focus on spatial design and sound design and music direction and do my director d'ambiance for brands. Basically that's why I'm in Ibiza right now. That's why I'm going to Positano in two weeks, uh, Milan, you know, I have all these different clients now that all want that, that intangible thing that is the ambiance, you know, but it's so important to any hospitality business. uh, This, this is sounds uh, like a stupid question. So forgive Mm -hmm. me, but like what makes good ambiance? um it's hard to describe but when people ask me that I, I to make it more tangible and something more something can hold on to and i'm it's not a stupid question even people who reach out to me you want to work with me when i pitch when i'm sending like proposals they're like okay cool but what does it entail they still want more detail because it's such a thing i'm like yeah, it's hard to explain 
But yeah. even for your own good in, a, in your living room at your house, when you have a little house party with your friends or when you're in a bar restaurant, just focus on three things. It's sound, lighting, and temperature. Those things you can control that really, obviously, the guest list and people you have are the key. But in terms sure. of uh, uh, how to influence any space, those three things, you can make it incredible or make it really terrible. Right. If one of the things are off and it kind of leaves your conscious uh, subconscious into your consciousness, it's usually not a good sign. Like a great example, how these things are usually terrible, terrible wrong. And I don't understand why brands haven't figured it out are changing rooms in stores and shops. Terrible lighting. Mm. You want to sell the product. The lighting is off. You always look shit. Yeah. <laughs> the sound is terrible. Uh, and usually also very cold. So really the worst sales pitch for anything to sell products. Um, but I mean, how many times have you been in a restaurant where you're just annoyed by the sound, by the music? Because it, it then leaves this. Oh, some, absolutely. Yeah. Some bartender or manager put his playlist on and it's so not on brand of the space, you know, and it becomes a nuisance. First, it's there as a background annoying sound. And then it turns into something conscious in your mind and you yeah, might have you know, a conversation with your friends about how bad the music is you know or too loud or too low or whatever um so it's a really good point yeah and that's what i do it's again being a, bit, a step behind instead of on stage i'm usually curating these things like a puppeteer in the background <laughs> yeah i mean that that's that's a super good point because there's definitely been places that i've been to where i'm like man it was great but the music was just trash or is like they, oh. they had this, but like, cause for me, scent is so important. It's and it's it, yeah. funny because yeah, I feel like, um, what is it? Uh, <laughs> so Aesop, right. Which mm. everyone's the, the Australian mm -hmm. company. I'm like, man, every restaurant, like, calling card is Aesop soap in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, good on them. <laughs> they really nailed it. Uh, cause it's also, again, having a safe, you know, you, you're safe with these choices, right? So you don't spend too much time. You don't invest your own scent, you know? I mean, obviously, like a Chilton or Chateau, they have their own scent. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a big part. You, I mean, the candles you can buy, right? It's the scent of the space. So there are places, of course, that invest that kind of money into creating something also as a takeaway. I mean, I, uh, but uh, if not, yeah, of course, they're great brands. Or like Byredo. I mean, Byredo candles, Ben Gorham's candles are everywhere right everybody yeah, has them. yeah yeah again it's also besides being a good product it's also a safe choice you know even if you're not too aware it's always it's it's good to have you know you know can't go really wrong or or um, deep teak or something yeah um, yeah yeah that's i mean that that's that is definitely interesting i mean especially with lighting too i mean um oh i uh <laughs> you know the strategist the new york mag uh Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was interviewed for that. They asked me about my products. <laughs> they were like, kind of like, okay. Because <laughs> one of the things I chose were uh, Edison light bulbs on Amazon. <laughs> really? <laughs> one of the products. Yeah. I mean, all the other stuff were fancy, cool stuff. I was like, nope. I have my, always my Edison light bulb wherever I go for long term or something. Or I was, as I use my parents' house as a reference, I go and buy these light bulbs because it, it's, the illumens of light are so important to your mood and, and really sets the tone. Is it up lighting? Is it down lighting? How many watts? Are you on a dimmer? Are you not on a dimmer? All these little things, they play such an important role as a mood enhancer uh, and a quality of your life. And it's just like music. It, it drives me nuts sometimes how these things are like second thoughts or afterthoughts or they build a beautiful hotel and then uh, the last thought is like, okay, oh, what are we going to do with the music? Oh, let's uh, book some local DJ. You do it or something. You know, like it's such a core and that's what I kind of pitch for like especially fashion brands use and I wrote a big article about this in the business of fashion as well. How, what does your brand sound like? You know, that should be mm. and music. Everybody plays, uh, plays with music, but it's again, you know, a little campaign, a little runway show. It's, but there's no connection. There's no identity behind it. They spend so much time and money on the visual identity. And then when it comes to audio, which is such just as, in, as important, it, be, it kind of always falls flat, you know. And I think there are only a few brands that really do this well. And, and it, I mean, obviously Virgil with his music background, it's, it plays such an important role where also he makes Benji B 
the music director of Louis Vuitton, you know, like it's at the forefront. It's at the core. Someone understood this is important, you know, um, also as a communication tool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny too. Cause like the contrast is right. We've never been more connected. We've never been more like in constant communication with the things that we love and admire, but still at the end of the day, nothing is, nothing can replace like the true physical experience of being in a place. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, because there's, I remember going to, this is like back in the early aughts, like 2005 or so, going to the Dior store in mm-hmm. New York for the first Eating. time. And he just, was the master of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, the the mirrors everywhere, the punk music, even places like Abercrombie, right? Which like, yeah, you know, I know that people will critique it all the time, but they had definitely created a vibe where it was super loud. They are pouring perfume on the floor you know, like the smell is strong. I mean, the whole Central environment. overload, you know. Yes. But it was part of their brand identity. And so that's a great reference. Actually, back then, I did some research. When I was still living in New York. I took like a DB, a decibel reader. And mm-hmm. I went to uh, 10, 15 stores. Same brands. Once in downtown and one uptown. So we're talking about the high streets like H&M, Zara and all that stuff. And yep. then the Pradas and the Chanel's. And, and I went to every store and measured the decibels in each and started writing it down and the analysis of each from uptown, downtown, between high street and luxury labels. And used all that because back then I was pitching uh, Giorgio Armani uh, music brand. So I took all these references and numbers and put in my part of my pitch and <laughs> went to them so, and we, to create Armani sounds which we did some events this is like 10 12 years ago but um but even they they didn't really get it either back then I mean this is the time when there were none of these brands weren't hardly even on Facebook back then you know like and mm. I was coming with this kind of foreign idea of music being part of the brand you know and and uh and now it's it's I mean all these companies are media brands more than fashion brands and they have to be and they're creating their own platforms i mean nike went off social media to create their own with nike uh, plus you know they have their own platform now i mean that's oh where God, all these yeah. things are heading yeah yeah you're right content oh games. man I, I, I know like no you're totally right because it's like Damn, yeah, I, the fact that they, because I don't even think I, I realized that, like, stepping back, I mean, that the, all these people kind of created their own silos for these experiences, mm. because when you're there, I mean, especially look, when a lot of these, it's about, like, putting your mind in a certain place, in most cases, say, if it's a retail store, to, to purchase the product, or mm. to be so inspired that it's the only product you want to purchase in the future, I mean, mm. like, being surrounded by the looks or the massive screens and stuff like that. I think at one point, Saint Laurent had like a giant vending machine, like one of those like plastic ball vending Mm -hmm. machines that you would go in there. I mean, and that's, but like hotels too. Yeah. I mean, that's the Mercer hotel still to this day is just, it's the only place that people want to be downtown. I mean, it was a genius move to in, in busy streets of downtown. So, to create on street level a living room, a public living room. Again, I mean, talking about lighting, you enter that space and it's all dim lit. You walk into a library and yeah, coming all from this like crazy noise and movement from outside and then go through those doors and suddenly it's like, and there's no music and no sound for a reason. You know, I, I, I fought it for years. I don't want music, even though there's ceiling speakers. I was like, we don't want music there. You want the silence because... The noise of the people chatting is enough from the outside noise. That's all you need. Not even background noise. Not even background sounds, you know. just There's nothing. no music in there? There is no music. See? But you still feel like there's energy because it's the people coming to relax and have a conversations and meetings and little dinner or drink. That's the energy. Same with the chateau. I, don't put, I didn't put speakers in the garden. I don't want speakers in the garden. You have like a record player in the lobby that people can play, they can put a record on and it's like literally very like a stereo. Then you have a little two speakers in the bar, lobby bar that's separate, like with like playlists I put together. And the only other place is the smoking area in the back in the garden where I put like little rock speakers. They're kind of hidden so you don't see the speakers and it's like the social hangout. It's two by two maybe, right? And everyone hangs out there at night and I just put like different sounds and like in the beginning with just bird sounds, you know, like in this little jungle in the back of the garden. 
And then I put like Martin Denny soundtracks from the 40s, like very old Hollywood, you know. But also the bathroom set Chilter. I remember when we opened, I put also bird sounds. And then we put like Bill Clinton autobiography. And then... <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah. The Bill Clinton autobiography? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I like these things that are kind of off, you know, like it's kind of random. Like also for my little club at the Chateau, the bathrooms were so important to me. I literally spent so much focus on this. And I, I and it's, it's very 70s and disco infused, the space. And the bathrooms, I created a soundtrack of just like 70s porn soundtracks. You know, they're incredible, <laughs> incredible stuff. There's actually a guy called, you could check, check it out and the listeners too. It's called Driggs, I think with a triple X. It's on SoundCloud. He created like these like porn soundtracks, like three or four of them, like for hours. And they're incredible. <laughs> like the, the, I mean, the sound, the music they created for those movies in the 70s, it's insane. You know, I mean, there were movies in the end of the day, right? You would yeah, go to true. a movie theater and see. So they really put a bit effort into the production. So yeah, I put these soundtracks in the bathrooms. It was kind of, kind of dope to set the tone. <laughs> so do you ever see yourself like being the music supervisor or something like that for films? Like, oh, are you I'd doing the next Wes to. Anderson movie? I'm dying. I'm dying for Wes is my hero. I've been trying on every corner to get to him. I mean, I met him a couple of times, but he's very reclusive. And I once, this is like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I was at a talk. Sonos did some talks and they invited the music curator of Wes's movies. And uh, he was telling the experience of working with him, what the process is. And it's literally him collecting over years, different archives and, and folders, what he thinks would work for a West movie and West does the same thing. Right. And then they get together and then West, it's just like a designer for soundtracks pretty much. Right. This is the vision. This is the mood board. This is what the scene would be about. And then they put things together. I mean, that's my ultimate dream. I mean, if I can work with West, I think it, it, it doesn't not get better. It wouldn't get better for me. This for me would be the ultimate, uh, yeah. knighthood, knighthood. <laughs> but like, that's, that's the thing too, is cause I feel like, and this is where when people talk about like the algorithm, right? Mm, mm. Like when they use things like Spotify or Pandora's whole business, the radio platform yeah. initially was like, we have the best algorithm of anything. We're always going to show you that. Still to this day, nothing holds weight the way a personal recommendation from a friend or something yeah. like that. Like you can never, ever replace like the human well, curation of that. Yeah. I, 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 the first person I met, this is also again, like going back to my early days in New York, was Michelangelo, Michelangelo Delacqua, who was also a music director for the W Hotels back then. He was the only person I knew who had something that does something similar like me. And we met back then. He was, I think he's a few years older than me. So I was kind of looking for someone, a role model or someone I can ask, what does a music director do in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. and especially in the hotel world. And, and, and yeah, we're like gatekeepers. We're curators of music that pre-internet or, or at least these, these platforms, um, were needed. Like Michel Gobert, you know, uh, mm -hmm. for fashion shows and uh, for Carl, he was the one giving content and music. Check this out, check this out. Cause they spend their days going through music. Then these platforms come, we'll tell you, you don't need that. You can discover weekly on and you know stuff you like and everyone's like great so all these like music companies that provide playlists you know for stores and whatever they become slightly irrelevant for a few years but i see now a little slight resurrection because there's such an overload of access that it's already mm. kind of blinding again even with algorithm where actually no we do like someone with an expertise we don't want to be we want to still have a special sound and not what my re algorithm rec recommends me. I remember. Right. As, so that, that's why I think, I guess even past pandemic, these companies and brands are reaching out to me again because it's like, no, we do need someone who knows what they're talking about, at least trust their, their knowledge or experience um, to help us get to the point where we, you know, I'm, I'm really just helping them to create, help them find their sound by, who are you as a brand? What do you want to be associated with? And what do you want to be seen as and heard as? Um, and then we work around that, you know, like uh, the first thing I was like, send me a mood board. Who mm. are you? That's also what I asked my guests. I was like, do you, when, when they're like in a creative, when they're an artist, for instance, it's like, do you create audio mood boards for your work? You know, does music reference, is that an influence for your 
painting, your photography, for uh, making a movie, you know? Is that part of your storytelling or is something, maybe a song inspired you for a movie scene or something? Right. Actually, with the Julian Schnabel episode, that was great. Because uh, I you know, love all his movies, watch a lot, and music plays. And he's, I knew he's such a music head, and he is. I mean, we could have talked for hours. And he, even afterwards, he sent me, like, I think 80 tracks still. You know, he loved it, you know? So his playlist is really good. Uh, it's on Spotify as well. Um, it's, it can be very fascinating. Well, it is very fascinating uh, how this could trigger stuff, yeah. Do you ever get, like, and this is something that I wrestle with a bunch. So, like, I, I worked in the music industry for a bit. My dad was a musician for a long time. And I have a elitism issue of, like, new music. I'm like, all the best music was already made. Because even know. then, like, I'm finding yeah. music from the 40s, from the 60s. You know, and I'm like, this is amazing. No one's yeah. gonna, you know, and that's no shots to like Billy Eilish or Adele no, or stuff, no, but yeah. just yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I feel the same. Sometimes I think I'm just too nostalgic. I live too much. My references are too much in the past, without ignoring the contemporary, obviously. But you know, when I had this conversation with David LaChapelle as well, it, it, it's like that was a renaissance. The music of the '60s and '70s. That was the renaissance of our time musically speaking and i absolutely agree um not saying there's nothing being created or even with Saron, disco superstar music producer of the 70s as well when i spoke yeah. to him i asked him how he sees you know i mean he created a sound basically right the disco genre you know was one of the big producers and um it's like do you see anything today is there something and he's like no it's all like a samples from the past uh, and there's nothing new. I mean, I think the closest that's exciting contemporary-wise, at least to me, is global pop and world music. I think that's mm. where it's at. In the Western world or English-speaking, not so much, to be honest. There's, there's a lot of good music there, 100%. But sure. nothing where it's not Crosby, Stills, Nash, where you're like, okay, this is something new. This is like, you know, that's part of a movement. Or, and, But then again, you know, I, I look at, my younger followers, you know, on Instagram and on our way and air and stuff. And I see what their reference point is and what they are listening to. So obviously not to lose the connection. I don't want to be a snob as well, you know, sitting on my high tower. I have lots of experience and right. I listen to a lot of music, right? You know, it shouldn't be like that. But it, it, for me, the main thing is it doesn't speak to me and it's not genre defined. It's aesthetic, aesthetics defined, you know, it's, it's more the feeling that I'm missing. I'm missing the positivity, the warmth, the sexiness. It's very self-indulgent and very Instagrammable music, so to say. It's, mm. you know, that's how it feels like. It's very, very plastic. <laughs> that's a good explanation, actually. I understand yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I would always argue that... It's just so you have. In yeah. out, Discovery Weekly, recommendation, in out. I mean, there's so much great music out there. It's gone with next week. You have no idea who this person was. You know, it's yeah. not planned with longevity. And actually, and I, I'm just using this reference because I had these conversations, but, but even David, who worked with every single David LaChapelle who shot mm -hmm. for 30, 40 years, everybody. I mean, we talked with Michael Jackson, we talked Tupac. I mean, Amy Winehouse, he, talk, he has stories to everybody. And even Travis, he's like Travis Scott. He's like, I like him, cool guy. You know, and we talk about Travis Scott is one of the biggest stars in the world, musically speaking, right? Absolutely. And it's like, it's not Jimi Hendrix. You don't see Jimi Hendrix doing a McDonald's ad because these musicians are brands these days. They all have to be a brand. That's how they make their money. Back then, you would sell records and you can focus on your craft. Whereas now, that kind of falls apart. So live on of live performances, right? And now even with Corona times, that's their their social media value. They're they are just advertising billboards in the end of the day. And that's where the money comes in. And that yeah dilutes the craftsmanship. And I can't totally agree actually with that. It's true. You know it's we're all so brand aware that we are brands and that's where the focus lies. Yeah, I mean, you're it, it turns into like a chicken or the egg sort of thing because absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you gotta make money. I get it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like they want to do it. They're not making the money off of album sales because no one's really yeah. buying albums. You know, I mean, Spotify is you know the way that they pay is, I mean, it's a just, joke. Yeah, yeah, it's a, so, but it, it's funny because like, you know, my argument with like music that came out in the '70s and music that came out beforehand. 
so much stuff was about addition, but they were limited to what they could add, right? So you mm-hmm. think about Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd's album, mm-hmm. was recorded on a 16-track tape machine. Now, look, they had a lot of like tracks that they would put on there, but what they would do, obviously, you know, for folks that don't know, is like they would record one track and then they would add that to the, you know, the other track and they would just constantly like overdub to that. But their limit was 16, period. And you think about the average like Max Martin produced song, you might have 200 tracks. So there's like no limit to what you can create. And I feel like, you know, you get into these like music without constraints and so you just stop like there there are musicians now obviously that are like we're gonna record this album on 16 tracks or we're gonna do you know so much of the beatles was like four and eight tracks like Mm -hmm. i mean this is just nothing um i don't know but it's like i think there's those two philosophies you know uh, right now exist at the same time when in the past you didn't have a choice yeah you did i mean i just going back to having that contemporary connection like that i guess you and i are very similar in age in our mid-30s or something yeah and, yeah I'm 35 um, yeah same <laughs> and uh and, you know i in my last interview was with, with Maisie williams you know the actress you know most mm-hmm. probably know as aria stark game of thrones she's 22 23 and she talked about this artist arca i heard about arca this has been a Suelian, uh, arts pop performer incredible right but it's yeah. so out of my universe in a way and she and one of the tracks she chose it's called at 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 like five at signs and it's like 63 minutes it's one just sounds you know <laughs> i'm like wow okay you know like it's super interesting but uh and obviously not playing with the pop format of three minutes you know so it's really a concept more than anything but it's interesting that she relates to that you know they have a different connection to it than me I, mm. where i mean it's interesting to me but it's not something i would listen to especially not the whole 60 minutes um but i, I definitely can appreciate it and i want to learn that's for me the more interesting yeah you know, i don't want to miss out i actually had this conversation with benji b as well obviously also our age group right and mm-hmm. music being the background and we are curators and we have to filter as well we have to go through a lot of stuff to filter to narrow down right and 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 it's like, yeah, it's like this FOMO thing. Like, I don't want to n- not know about something either, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I need to be aware of what's at least happening, if I like it or not. But I need to be aware, at least, in, at least in our profession, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's for instance, right. if I if I use Michel Gobert as a reference, I sometimes think, why don't why when I listen to a soundtrack, sometimes I'm like, why didn't I know about this artist? You know, when he used something, or like, uh, or sometimes when he used stuff, I'm like, yeah, I know that artist too. Okay, I'm not yeah. so off. You know, like those are my reference points where I measure myself sometimes with. Um, but I mean, there's so much content and music out there. You can't know everything, you know. You, uh, no, it's, it's impossible. Just, uh, it's impossible. I mean, the amount of that gets put out there. I mean, everybody has the technology, the technology, and the access these days. It's in, it's it's billions and trillions. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, because that's the thing. It's like you can make an album with your phone, and now that there's really, which is good. Now that yeah. there's no barrier for entry, yeah. you, there's. It's it's but it's the challenge is also more complicated because when you're trying to figure out like what's the good stuff, whatever mm-hmm. that means, right? Mm-hmm. And if everyone can make it, you got a lot of people trying to be. <laughs> where in the past, sure, you're going to find the best guitar player in the in the city because it's the only person who's able to go make the record, you know. And then that connection from there. So it's just like, yeah, damn. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there stuff that you listen to now or? musicians that you hear now and you're like they get it like they're they're like all encompassing of what this sort of new generation and new style of person is is listening to or i was gonna say how about this what is like say i'm sure you have people that like send you playlists what's what would be an artist that's on that playlist that you're like oh this person gets it because i listen to so much different music there's Mm -hmm. a lot of art i mean most of the artists i've never heard of so Mm. there's a track i like or something so that's what like, I mean, again, so much global pop, never. I mean, I I could read you all these names right now. We would have no idea. But, you know, actually, <laughs> there's this big pop song right now in Italy that I randomly discovered. And it's I think it's quite big in Italy right now. Maybe it's even a bit cheesy. I don't know. But I love it because it's exactly the vibe. And it's about kind of having a good time and stuff. And a bit, when I heard that, I was literally, it's, I was on repeat for two weeks straight. 
Oh, it's shit. such a nice, yeah, it's such a, yeah. It's uh, Musica Legerissima by Colapeggio di Martino. Some, uh, I can't even pronounce hmm. my Italian, it's horrible. But it's very, um, the beginning is very Empire of the Sun, which I thought, uh, Yeah, that did sound Empire of the Sun. <laughs> right? I mean, it's literally, it's like, Anything Italian is all sounds good. I mean, it's very light and fun, you know, and it's like summer yeah. in Italy and it's good vibes. And uh, that really caught my attention. And it was so on point for me. And it was such a nice spring upper to have, you know? It's just getting yeah. the mood. Sun is, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're coming out of this slowly but surely. And that was the perfect pick-me-up for me. Um, but in terms of artists, I mean, I'm just looking at my playlist, my Studio Noi Monthly, which I, it's on my Spotify. I just dump every month music, every like 3,000 tracks here or something. And it's public for everybody everything music i find oh nice well I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes yeah and um it, honestly you i haven't heard most of the names oh actually you know what <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of french acts i love uh, uh contemporary okay. they get it so there's a lot because you know obviously in the late 90s there was the french touch and uh, and then of course you have the daft punks and so forth but that sound because uh, you know i'm also after the synthy sounds very mm -hmm. 70s very disco-y mm -hmm. very funk and um the french do it best outside of the english-speaking music the french do it well i mean you have uh bands like voila and l'impératrice uh i love claire lafue of course who i was also interviewed on the show um uh paradis was in in insane they were great but they split up i mean there's so many incredible contemporary french pop bands they just get it even if it's pop music the sound is just so warm and sexy yeah and it's fun and light still um yeah they get it do you ever check out uh i think that it's the label is called light in the attic yeah i love light in the attic yeah yeah i mean that's i i remember they, they blew up a ton from that lewis album that i thought the world of you it was which was basically like lewis Balu or whatever i don't even know if i'm pronouncing his name right but he was just kind of like a a a nobody dude who just made some demos that no one cared about and then you know 40 years later or something like that everyone's yeah. like this is so good <laughs> i love these rediscovers i love these labels what's the other one uh uk label oh, i should give them a shout out they're so good um the music that's like 40 50 years old and there were nobody cared back then and then they re get re-released and everyone has this appreciation for it uh, mm -hmm. i think it's, it's so good and that's what labels like um lighting the attic and i mean a little shout out actually to um sound of the universe in london uh incredible mm. record store and the arbg production it's oh. like uh it's a compilation it's a series uh this one is for instance eccentric soul but they have like so many uh eccentric soul the deep city label uh electric soul the young disciples you know it's like it's a series of all these incredible 60 50s 60s 70s detroit and all these different regions in the states re-releases of pretty much unknown stuff or kind of stuff that disappeared and they're bringing these back incredible incredible label and series yeah that's awesome well, this has been really, really, really good. And I I'm glad that we got linked up. And I'd love to, to keep in touch with you uh, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, likewise. My biggest joy and goal of, out of this is that I I'm able to share knowledge and music and inspirations. That I mean, that was after, you know, a year ago, which was so dark. And the feedback I got from strangers that really touched me. Like, like this is really my highlight of the week. It's like, you know, having these great cultural giants and minds uh sharing their thoughts and personality you know it's very inspiring and yeah so that is really as as to quote patty maybe the perfect way to wrap up how we start with patty but you know this is an incredible library of knowledge that you're building here and you should just keep doing it and in 10 years you have this like insane archive you know like and yeah. that 
you know, as my first interview, and someone like Patty saying this, I'm like, okay, how, I, I'm not allowed to stop here. You know, like, this is something. You know, this is really, I've got something here. I need to, you know, I'm not making money with this. My intention is not to make money with this, at, like, and that's as a podcast, right? Uh, I don't want to dilute. I don't want to have a brand attachment to it, at least at this stage, because it's this vulnerable, vulnerability and, 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 uh, softness and personal intimacy that i don't want to lose um yeah and yeah so you can find everything on areweonair.com <laughs> for sure well i i will definitely link it and and massive congratulations to you on the show and what you've been doing i mean it's that's that's really cool so thank you thank, thank you. you again thank it was you. wonderful talking to you thank you likewise likewise all right all right i'll see you peace You've been listening to Blamo. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. Theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find us on Instagram, at Blamo Podcast. And if you can't stop and eat all the hot content, join us on Patreon for tons of exclusive episodes, our private Slack group, merch hookups, and all the fun stuff in the world. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. I'll see you next week.